Hello, Las Vegas. It's producer Layla Mohammed here. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, the staff is here for our Friday News Roundup. Lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson, newsletter editor Scott Dickensheets, and I are talking about the wild rains this week, what the vibes have been during the first week of school, and the looming effects of an affordable housing program coming to an end. It's Friday, August 12th, 2022. I'm Layla Mohammed, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Recording. Okay. Recording. I am officially clicked. Click, click, click. All right, team, how are you doing this Friday? Surviving. My coffee machine broke, so, you know, Oof. it's been rough. Well, that would barely count as surviving then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hanging by a thread. I'm at a perfect median point. I've been better and I've been worse. So all is quite average. Yeah, I like that average place. I think I'm in the average place along with you, Scott, especially considering um, our weather. It's seeming like it's evening out after weeks of horrible wild rains and winds, which I'm really not loving. I do not like the rain considering I've been living in the desert my whole life. But we have been in monsoon season and it seems like to me that it's been pretty rough this monsoon season with constant rains. The first few days of it were actually pretty nice. You know, it's like, ah, rain, and there's that smell. Everyone talks about the smell of rain in the desert, which I just learned has a word. It's called petrichor, which is the God's blood essence of stone, I guess is the Greek origin of that word. But yeah, that smell coming off the desert ground is just so heady. Yeah, some some parts of the valley smell like wet dog, though. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, for one thing, petrichor sounds like a, a variety of music, some sort of petrified heavy metal, which I'd actually be into. Yeah, let's start the band, Scott. We'll do it. But I'm, I guess I'm fortunate enough in where I live, sort of like on a high shoulder of the valley. We don't get flooded here. We have buried power lines, so we don't have very many outages. So I can treat the rain as sort of like a novelty diversion in my life. You know, open the door, listen to the rainfall, have the petrichor uh, waft in, you know, and curl up and read a book. I am keenly aware that other people have real issues with it, you know, with the flooding and the trees being blown over and power outages. Yeah, I know some of the homes in the downtown area, the older homes that aren't as updated have been flooding. Someone at my workout studio, their home got hit really hard with flooding. And so I think, yeah, other parts of the valley are really feeling it, especially in Death Valley, where where that flash flooding, 500 visitors and 500 residents were stranded when the park flooded. Those photos were wild. I mean, it just looked like the banks of a river. It was like the, the road getting washed out there and like the aftermath too, the power of water to just rip up asphalt is mind boggling. Mm hmm. It makes me wonder, too, as much as we've been talking about how bad our drought has been and the water crisis, I wonder if that's why this is feeling a little bit more heavy this monsoon season, because maybe we needed this rain and we're paying more attention to how it's affecting our environment. What are your thoughts on how this may be helping like Lake Mead raise its levels inches, but I mean, we're getting there a little bit. Well, three inches across an entire lake, that's not an insignificant amount of water. 
not nearly enough, considering the like 20-something feet we've lost this year, but still, it's a little something. And on top of that, the Southern Nevada Water Authority recently released some numbers. Apparently, Las Vegans across the valley were diligent and turned off their irrigation systems and their sprinklers and actually ended up saving the valley 246 million gallons of water because we were all turning off our extra irrigation and just letting the rain naturally water our landscapes, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, another instance of Las Vegas being great in this water crisis. Right? I'm proud of us. Go neighbors. And it's kind of an amazing spectacle to me to see like one of the most arid regions in the country besieged by water, the very thing that it, it is so thirsty for and how destructive it is. And there's some sort of weird relationship there between the absence of water and the catastrophic presence of water. I do think it is a natural part of our environment. It is like a, it's, a, it's a feature, not a bug right, for us to have these seasonal rains. Exactly. Along with flash flooding, I, I remember right. in, I think, middle school probably, and I'm not sure if it's still there, but at the Springs Preserve, they had a flash flood simulation where you could go in the room and you could see a simulation of a flash flood in the desert. Oh, cool. And so it's a part of our environment, flash flooding, and it's nothing new. But I think, in my opinion, because we've been so focused on this water crisis this time around, it's. Mm-hmm. I think I'm paying more attention to it, maybe. Totally. Yeah, I'm sure that the fact that we've built these highways where water can't soak in and instead roll across the surface mm-hmm. don't help with the flash flooding either. Well, so we've had... So we've had to spend a billion dollars on a flood retention system in order to sort of counteract all the things we did to ruin the natural floodplains and disrupt right. the natural flow of the desert. So it seems like we'll be in this monsoon season of Las Vegas midway through September. So everyone stay safe out there. Make sure you're staying cautious and uh, listening to the flash flood warnings. Don't drive through a flooded street. All right, so moving to our next topic, school started this week um, in Clark County School District. And I know my niece has been saying that it's been feeling like a simulation. She's going into her senior year of high school. I think that has a lot to do with it, but also going back to school after a pretty rough school year last year. I know during the summer when she was in summer school, my sister went out and would pick her up and she would notice a lot of parents were sitting out in the parking lot and waiting for their kids to get out more than usual and kind of keeping an eye on the school. Mm. So Scott, Mm -hmm. they just finished the first week of school. What's the vibe that your school-aged family members are getting? Well, they're because of some of the violence that unfolded in the last school year, there's a bunch of new uh, security measures in place. I drove by my alma mater on Sunday evening, the day before school started, and I was surprised to see fencing almost all the way around the school. So ain't nobody waiting in the parking lot now because you can't get in. My granddaughter just started her sophomore year of high school here in the Valley, and it's you know they have this heightened security sensibility. They lock the kids in the classroom once they're all in, and they can't open the door for airflow or anything. You know It's a closed campus now. You can't leave for lunch. So there's already this sort of like depressing quality to to the time they spend in school now. And it's exacerbated in her case by the fact that, according to her, the school is overcrowded. So one of her classes, some kids have to sit on the floor. And so you have too many kids in too small of a space and the door is closed. So it gets hot and wow. uncomfortable and the kids get grumbly and 
you know, there's a, I think there's a sort of a spreading sense of, of irritation about it. Can I ask, Scott, did you just say that some of the kids have to sit on the floor? That's what I was told. Wow. There's so many kids and, and just not enough chairs. Obviously, it's the first week and they're still shaking down the, you know, the problems and they'll adjust things as they go. But the general atmosphere of locked downness is, I think, somewhat dispiriting to some of these kids. Yeah, I know that's one of the first things that my niece commented on was that it feels so much more crowded. And especially with lunch being locked down now, they're not allowed to eat outside. They're not allowed to go to their cars or anything. So they're all in the lunchroom. And so I think that's adding to, you know, pressures and anxieties that kids are having maybe. But like Scott said, it's the first week. So maybe they're still shaking some things out, making sure they're getting more tables and chairs in. And so, I mean, I think we'll keep listening to our school-aged friends and hearing what they're saying about how the school year is going this year. My first inclination with this is to say, like, some of it seems simply ornamental, like decorative security measures designed, you know, as much to show that they're taking action than as to actually alleviate the problems. But I will say that, unlike most other adults in this valley, I don't think I know the best way to run a school district. So I'm going to say that there's probably more going on than is apparent to me or to my granddaughter. Uh, So I have to sort of trust that, you know, that this will all... Even out in the end, they'll find the happy medium between security measures and fruitful learning environment. Yeah. 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 And with the with the start of school this week, I just want to commend all of the educators out there. I have a lot of friends who are educators. Scott, your wife is an educator. So I just want to say congrats on getting through the first week of school and good luck on the rest of the school year. Yes. Three cheers for our teachers. Yes. All right, so let's go into the next topic. Sonia, let's get the breakdown on the looming end of a affordable housing program. Yeah, so I just read this fantastic article in the Review Journal by Tegan Simonton, hope I'm saying that right, which details what appears to be the end of the Neighborhood Stabilization Program. And that program, the NSP, started in 2008. Remember, we had that big housing bubble burst and... Mm -hmm. And the bottom fell out of the Las Vegas housing market. (laughs) Who remembers that, right? Uh, Oh, I do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But in in the fallout of that, Nevada got about $25 million to invest back into the housing market and buy up all of these foreclosed homes. And they were able to apportion about 55% of that grant to purchase homes for long-term rentals for lower-income families. But what happened was recently, some of those families in recent months got a notice that the Department of Housing and Urban Development was going to sell their houses. These are the houses that were purchased initially, now over, what, 14 years ago? And obviously, many of them have doubled, sometimes even tripled in value. And so now these families who had depended on being able to pay a much smaller portion of their limited incomes for housing are left scrambling at a time when rents are at an all-time high. Yeah, and it seems to me that, I mean, these people have been in these homes in under this program for 10 years. Was this a short-term solution to a long-term problem that's been festering in our housing market? I think it's a midterm solution, but actually you're getting at the heart of the issue, which is that 
it's unclear what the timeline was. Some of the residents say that they knew that this was going to have a deadline and there would be an end to the program when they would eventually have to move out. Other residents say that they were promised by HUD that they would be able to stay here in the long term indefinitely. But neither of those folks have been able to produce any documentation to say that which promises were given about what. Regardless, the timing, HUD's timing is really bad because this is a moment when people who aren't in low-income housing can barely afford rents. So you have to question the timing of this announcement. Yeah, it's really it's really sad in a world as networked and connected as ours that one branch of the government doesn't know what's going on with another branch or can't, you know, somehow like adjust its vision to include like factors like hey, we're kicking people out into a super volatile rental market. What right. what effect is that going to have and should we adjust our policy? And there's just you know, bureaucracies are not nearly that nimble, apparently, and, and real people suffer the consequences, which is which is really regrettable. Yeah, because the city, the city didn't know that this was going to come down, correct? Like the city didn't know that these renters were going to be asked to leave expeditiously or the program asked to end expeditiously. So apparently the city did receive instructions from HUD to close this low income housing program, quote unquote, expeditiously whatever that means. And so a spokesperson says that this was always designed to be a temporary program. But again, it's unclear as to what instructions or what part of that being temporary was relayed to the residents. And also, um, what does temporary mean? Does that mean one year? Does that mean 10 years? Does that mean, you know, mm-hmm. that that portion is, is a little inconclusive. And what it also suggests is it it was just a sort of a thoughtless stopgap measure. Let's buy some houses and let some low-income people live in them instead of like, let's buy some houses, let some low-income people live in them and somehow find a way to ramp them up into more a more permanent situation. Right. So apparently before this year, the homes were sold only after the tenants would move out on their own, like voluntarily. So that seemed to be like the natural kind of closure of this timeline. But for whatever reason, HUD's giving this directive to the city to to sell those houses expeditiously. Yeah. And that makes me think that they must know what the housing market is looking like right now and how mm-hmm. hard it is and how short we are units of affordable housing in the Valley. I know there's been reports of rental and housing prices coming down, but that's compared to the crazy amount that they were before, and residents still can't meet that number. I don't know if these government entities are really thinking about the devastating effect that this is going to have on families. Especially because they've already spent the money. The HUD money's already been spent to buy the house. It's not like they're going to, like, oh, we're going to lose, we're going to start saving money by selling these houses. They might make money, but it's not like the money hasn't already been spent. And so what what's the hurry? Why why does everything something have to be expeditious? Yeah, you have to wonder about their calculus. They must be thinking that if they can sell these homes and then reinvest in more affordable housing elsewhere, that somehow they're going to end up with more units or spots. I mean, I would love to see that math detailed out somewhere because even if they have profits to spend, what they're buying is also more expensive right now, right? So I'd be curious to know the number of rooms, the number of units they're getting out of these profits, and whether that's actually going to increase the number of affordable housing spots available for folks or decrease. Yeah, but it doesn't look like they're on an expeditious timeline to create affordable housing for these families that they're moving, that they're pushing out of these units. 
yeah, selling the houses expeditiously, but not necessarily creating spots for those families getting pushed out expeditiously. Exactly. <laughs> Sonia, exactly. Sonia, with that line of clear reasoning, I'm going to nominate you for HUD secretary when the ne- next time that vacancy is open. I'm clearly so qualified. <laughs> yeah, podcaster. <laughs> podcaster Sonia chose wants it. I think, I think we need a voice in there. There we go. Yeah, podcasters unite. <laughs> All right. So now to end on a bit of a lighter topic, I have been obsessing over Usher's NPR Tiny Desk concert. Recently, it's been out for a while, but I don't know why. I just can't get enough of it. And it's made me, for the first time in my life, consider buying a ticket to a Las Vegas residency. But there's Katy Perry in town, Adele is coming, John Legend, who I love. And so there's quite a few residencies that I've been thinking. Silk Sonic, I almost forgot that. And so I'm wondering, Scott and Sonia, if you were to buy a ticket to a Las Vegas residency, who would it be? Past or present? Well... I'm not really a residency kind of person. Those tend to be sort of like legacy acts on their last legs. And I just soon listen to them on Spotify or YouTube or wherever I listen to my music these days. But if U2 does get the rumored residency that I've heard might be in the works, then maybe then... Is that the one at the, the Sphere? Yeah, the I think at the, at the Sphere. The Sphere thing? At wow. the Crazy okay. Sphere. Uh-huh. So if, they, if U2 gets that residency, maybe then I'll have found what I'm looking for. Whoa! <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, I would not have guessed, Scott. I thought you were a heavy metal fan. Uh, Well, I just wanted to throw in that U2 pun, basically, because that's a famous (laughs) song. He was just looking for a way. Got it. Actually, to be honest, I listen to more jazz than anything else, and jazz artists don't get many residencies in this town. It's fair. Sonia, how about you? Which residency would you go see? Man, I don't know if I can hold out hope this is actually going to happen, but I would love to see Adele. Her voice is just like honey, you know. I know mm-hmm. that a lot of folks in Las Vegas are feeling like a little betrayed. Like we got stood up on a date. Yeah. Maybe we got stood up on prom by Adele for having to cancel. But I get it. Like she put the health and safety of her crew and her fans first. And it was a hard decision. I think she was like crying even when she talked about it. And a recent report came out that says she is planning to come back. So Adele, if you're listening, because I know you are. Please come back and also toss some tickets our way, you know? Yes, CityCast would love to cover your residency and we would love to be there. Yeah. I mean, I think I would also love to see Adele, but I think Usher's tiny desk has really given him Mm. a leg up in my eyes. I like I cannot stop listening to it. His voice is amazing. I didn't realize how prominent his music has been in my life. And so I think I might have to go see Usher or John Legend, one of those two, before they leave. I feel like residencies are so expensive, especially for locals. It's kind of like they really so want to spend expensive. the money to go see that. But I feel like recently they've been getting, okay, I'll, Katy Perry, maybe, Silk Sonic, that's, I've heard great things about their show. But it's Ooh. hard to justify a $400 ticket. Yeah, that's steep. Mm-hmm. That's that's a little steep. Although I do want to push back on Scott saying that residencies are for artists on their, their last leg. I don't know if that's always true. No, it, you're correct. I was recklessly generalizing to make a point. <laughs> a dubious fair. point okay. at that. I feel like recently they've been 
pretty big artists who are still putting out like a lot of great music like Lady Gaga and Silk Sonic and John Legend. It's like the rebirth of the Vegas residency. I sit corrected. Okay. I'm just setting us up for success, Scott, when Petrichor eventually has our residency on this trip, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll be there. And to get those Comte Adele tickets. Let's, That's right. Let's make sure that we're putting that into the atmosphere, putting that into the universe. Adele. Into the please. universe. All right. So on that note, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you, Sonia and Scott, for joining me today and breaking down some of the top news items this week. Thank you. Thanks, Layla. Yes, happy Friday. Woo-woo. That's all today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is me, Layla Mohammed. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are David Figler and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuwubi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, and leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. I'm headbanging over here. (laughs) Headbanging for Petrichor. For Petrichor.